Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Hello, Chi Alpha. My name is Blair, like Kelsey and Blake said, and I'm so excited to be with you tonight. Um, if you don't know me, I'm on staff with Chi Alpha and have been on staff for a couple of years, and it's been such a joy. So um, welcome to Monday Night Live. If you're new tonight, we are continuing our series in the book of Revelation um, called Revealing Ultimate Reality. So we're talking about ultimate reality because we believe that Revelation has something to say to us about um, what is real right now and how we can use this kind of this framework of seeing things how God sees them. And then um, also being able to see the reality of what's to come. And so um, as we continue on in the book of Revelation tonight, I think um, there's a very timely message here for us. I just I loved Kelsey's welcome um, to us tonight and her call to just recognize what's going on in our nation. I think um, she's so right when she says we're figuring out how to be the people of God right now, how to be ambassadors of Christ and citizens of um, the United States or citizens of um, the nation that you might have citizenship in. And so um, I just thought that was so timely. And I do want to reiterate, wherever you're coming into tonight, wherever you are coming into tonight, whatever you're feeling, whatever, you know, this past week has held for you. um, I just want to say that I believe the text we'll look at tonight has a very specific encouragement for us right now. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Um, before we get into it, um, I did just want to share a little bit more about myself. Um, like I said, I, I am on staff with Chi Alpha. I graduated from UVA in 2016 with a degree in Middle Eastern Studies. So I'm particularly excited about that, that Middle East virtual trip. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I loved my time here. I was in the marching band, which was a lot of fun. Got to live in the Salt Shack, so shout out to the Salt Shack ladies. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was a great time. And so... Um, Another thing to know about me is that I turned 26 this year. Shout out to everyone who has already had your birthday this year. Happy belated birthday. If it's your birthday today, happy birthday. If it's your birthday coming up, happy early birthday. Um, But yeah, so I turned 26 and I realized, you know, in my quarantine birthday, as I was reflecting on this year, reflecting on, you know, the past couple of years, um, I realized that I have been driving for about 10 years. It's about, you know, 16, 26, it's been about 10 years since I've got my license. Um, And if you know me, like, you might know that I don't really like driving. Like, sure, I'll do it and everything. Like, you know, I'm glad to serve in that way. I just don't really, I don't like it. I probably wouldn't choose it all the time. Um, But I, you know, I think that that dislike of driving actually has an origin, an origin story, if you will. Um, from when I was 16 and had just gotten my license. So I was reflecting on all of this and I, and I realized I remembered before I got my license, before I got my permit, being so excited to learn how to drive. I remember thinking, um, you know, how exciting it would be that I could go anywhere I wanted to or like save up for my own car, all of these things. Um, but I also realized, you know, I was putting a lot of like trust in it. I was, I was trusting that once I was able to drive, everything would be different and I would have things that I didn't have before, which in some ways was true, but I think it was a little misconstrued in my mind. And uh, I kind of found that out really quickly and found it out the hard way. So, um, when I got my license, when I was 16, um, I remember a couple weeks later, so it was probably like one of the first times I was driving alone. Um, I was, um, 
gosh, it was, I'm, I'm from Nova. Also, that's another thing. So terrible traffic. It was awful. I was driving to a friend's house. It was over the weekend. Um, none of my family was home. I do remember that. And I was driving myself to a friend's house. And all of a sudden, I noticed smoke coming out of the front of my, the hood of the car that I was driving. It was like, I mean, obviously that's terrifying. And then like, once I started noticing the smoke, I noticed this rattle in my car. I could like feel it like shaking a little bit and kind of like progressively breaking down. And so once I started feeling that, I was like, oh no, I gotta get out of this car, I gotta get out. And so by the grace of God, I just kind of like shifted my car over, you know, over to the side of the road and, um, you know, somehow parked it. I don't, I don't even remember what happened there, but parked my car, thought to myself, this is not good got out of the car, called my parents, like, what do I do? Um, so luckily they were able to talk me through it, talk me through calling a tow truck and doing, you know, the appropriate steps there. But I just remember that day and feeling so disappointed that there was this thing I had put so much time and effort into a lot of like hope and expectation into what it would be like with the experience of driving and you know, the doors that it would open up to me, like what that would mean for my life. I was so, I was so excited. And in that day, I was so disappointed. I was like, that was a lie. That was a lie. And yeah, from then on, I just, I feel like I just didn't like driving. So anyway, there you go. Um, <laughs> but with all of that said, um, you know, I think it, it just brings the question to my mind of like, have you guys had that experience? Have you had the experience of putting your trust somewhere or hope or excitement um, or even time and energy and money and effort into something that that ultimately lets you down. Um, and I know that driving is, you know, it's kind of a funny example in some ways, but, um, you know, is it health? Is it um, your degree? Is it your job that you get when you graduate? Like, are there these different things that either have or, or potentially will let you, you down that you're trusting in tonight? I think as we look at Revelation, as we get into our text, we'll see um, that that John, the the writer, the author of Revelation, um, he'll speak directly to this and, and speak to what it means to put our trust in, in something or someone other than other than God and other than the kingdom of God. Um, so I just want I want us to go into our passage tonight with that in mind, thinking about where am I putting my trust right now? Does that sound good? So um, go ahead and open up with me to Revelation chapter 17. That's where we will pick up tonight. Um, and to give a little bit of context, um, we we are continuing um, continuing the message a little bit from last week where, you know, Josh was talking to us about the playbook of the enemy and what it looks like as the people of God to stand up against the enemy and to um, do things like believe in the Holy Spirit, believe in the truth of God um, in order to stand against the war that's being waged against against us, against our hearts and our souls. Um, and this is a continuation. And in, 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 in the next few chapters leading up to Revelation 17, we see that, that God actually has a response himself, um, that God has a response. And he, he we see that the narrative is like ramping up. It's getting really intense and it's gritty. Um, but what we see is that God is God is bringing his judgment against evil and against the enemy um, and against kingdoms and people and um, nations that would would set themselves up against God and against his kingdom. So right here, right now, we're getting this real-time picture of God's offensive response. He, um, 
we see in, in Revelation 15 and 16, this parade of angels that comes in and they actually are holding in, in these bowls, these plagues that represent God's judgment um, on these kingdoms and on, honestly, evil as a whole. And so these bowls are starting to be, be um, poured out. We see different plagues. We see um, water turned to blood. We see sores and pains. We see war. We see all of these different um, just destructive, awful things. But it is, it's God's heart of, um, of justice. It's God's heart of redemption that would actually cause him to um, pour out these judgments. And so um, we'll pick up in Revelation 17 as we see the last um, the seventh bowl being poured out by the seventh angel. So if you would pick up with me um, in verse one. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the, the, the desert, into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And this title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, Mother of Prostitutes and of the Abominations of the Earth. I saw that this woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Man, wow. So that's, that is a lot to unpack here. As the seventh bowl of God's judgment is being poured out on the earth, we have this sense of, um, the sense of mystery, the sense of finality. And I think before we get into that, like, what does all of that mean? What does it indicate, um, for the people of God? I think it would be very appropriate to just ask the question, who or what is Babylon? The image that John sees when he's, um, brought to the desert by, by this angel is a woman sitting on a beast. And she, Let's see, it says, she sits on many waters. Um, so Babylon is a kind of a twofold image here. So the first thing that John is doing is he is actually kind of cryptically alluding to um, his people, the people he's writing to, to their current context. So cryptically, you know, he, he calls Babylon mystery. That's the name that he's given her. And this would have um, tipped people off to, um, or like tipped his audience, so to speak, his community off to the idea that um, he's talking directly about Rome. And he's talking about Rome. And we know this because he, he talks, he says she sits on many waters and alludes to her um, economic power. And for, you know, for the people he's writing to, they would have immediately understood that it was Rome, right? With where she's situated geographically with all of the um, military power and the economic stability and um, the economic power, yeah, power that she held in the region. They would have known immediately um, that John is depicting Rome in Babylon the Great, right? So John, the first image of Babylon is, is Rome. It's, it's the context, it's the kingdom that other people know. It's the kingdom that is, um, 
you know, responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus himself. It's the kingdom that's responsible for um, murder and war and injustice and oppression. It's um, the people of God are like so familiar with that. It's so it's their everyday reality that when they when they read mystery, when they hear um, the woman sitting on the beast and when they see the picture of her, um, her opulence and her excess, they would have known immediately. Oh, John is talking about Rome. He's talking about this reality that we're living in right now. But that's not the only thing John is doing. The the second the secondary image here is that John is actually using a lot of um, descriptors of Babylon that um, Old Testament prophets would have used to describe different nations that were carrying the people of God into exile. So what's happening is is John is not only saying Babylon is Rome, Babylon is our current context. He's saying um, Babylon is also every kingdom behind us that has done the same things, has been the same perpetrator of oppression and of evil and death and war and pain. Like he's saying every single kingdom behind us and every kingdom that is to come before us um, finds its reality in this depiction of Babylon um, as this opulent, murderous woman. He's saying we in Rome, we are under Babylon But he's also saying it's all the kingdoms in the past and all the kingdoms to come that wouldn't point to God. That wouldn't say that God is um, king or wouldn't um, repent and turn to God. So we have this twofold image. We see Babylon as a picture of all evil kingdoms. And I think it's appropriate to say, friends, we we know what it's like to live in Babylon. Um, Like, let's just take a moment and recognize that. Um, currently we are citizens of an earthly kingdom. Um, and that's not to say it's all bad. We know that there are good things. We know, um, that there can be beautiful things even, but it is to say that, um, we are living in a context that is not glorifying the kingdom of God. It's not living into the kingdom of God. And that, friends, I think we're, we're, we're meant to read this and be encouraged in the same way that John's readers would have been that, um, there is a different reality at play here that while we are, we are citizens here, we are also looking, um, you know, John's going to continue to pull behind the curtain and say like, this is what's real. This is how we, um, interact with Babylon. This is how we even find victory over, um, this system that's at hand. And I just, I think that's so timely for us tonight. So let's continue to read, um, So just to summarize so far, we're looking at Babylon. We're looking at this image of a woman who is um, a perpetrator of evil, who is a representative of kingdoms perpetrating evil. Um, And we see, yeah, we see her with a beast. We see her with this representation of of all of these kingdoms coming together. Um, And next we see God's response. He is actually very quick in this text to respond and say um, how he comes up against Babylon. Um, So if you would pick up with me in verse 13, and it says, they being the kingdoms who are aligned with Babylon have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers. So this is God's response. Um, He says, you know, we kind of see it very clearly laid out. The purpose um, of these kingdoms is to wage war against the lamb and against his people. And God's response (laughs) is to point to his own authority. 
we get this picture of um, an army coming behind the lamb, right? And we know the lamb right now with where we are, we know the lamb to be Jesus. Um, we know that, you know, Jesus, um, he, the lamb who was slain, it's, right? It's this picture of um, victory through his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and yeah, so we see this lamb who is, um, described as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, um, which it does point to an ultimate authority. It doesn't, I would like to point out, it doesn't take away the authority that other kings and kingdoms have, right? Like we, as citizens of this earth, we know um, that different nations and kingdoms and people like have authority in the sense that they can inflict pain and make decisions that hurt other people and oppress and um make decisions that are not for human flourishing. Like we, we know this is true based on our own experiences. Right. Um, but what's being said here is that the lamb is the ultimate authority that when this war goes down, when as judgment ramps up and as we move toward this final moment of judgment against all evil, the lamb is going to be the one who holds all authority. And what's going to happen is he brings his people with them. Um, it's so interesting to me that it says, um, with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So there's this picture that the lamb isn't alone. He's with his people. And that strikes me so much because if you think about it, like those are the people who have experienced every iteration of Babylon um, before and after this moment in scripture, right? Like these are the people who have experienced oppression in Egypt and exile in Babylon and um, oppression under Rome. These are the people who've experienced it in every iteration of Babylon since, um, since the life of Jesus. And it's, it, it's such a, I think that's such a striking image because, um, there's this idea that we can be invited into the battle, right? Like Jesus is the one who, he holds the authority. He's the Lord of the Lords, King of Kings. He's the leader, but with him, he has his faithful followers. And, and friends, that's us tonight. I, I believe that when we say yes to Jesus, when we repent, when we turn from trusting in other systems, other nations, other, um, you know, whatever it would be, when we when we repent, we say that's not enough, um, and we turn to Jesus and we turn into the kingdom of God, I believe that's a moment we're counted in this number and that we are actually invited into God's response against evil. And so the text goes on. The story keeps going. Um, for the sake of time, we, we won't read it. But um, in Revelation chapter 18, we see a more we see John describe more the fall of Babylon. Um, there's a couple of different angels who say a couple of different um, statements or poems even um, about the fall of Babylon. And, and what they what they show us is this um, dichotomy of response that when Babylon falls, when when this evil kingdom, this conglomerate um, of all evil kingdoms that have <laughs> come before her, when when she falls, um, she takes with her everything. And so those whose trust is in Babylon, um, they'll lose it all. It, it, the angels, they start talking about the merchants who have lost um, the stock that they've put into Babylon. They talk about her um, no longer have any, having any celebrations or any trade. Um, they talk about her power being taken away. So there's this just utter sense of loss that um, Babylon is marching toward destruction and, and she doesn't know it. She does not repent for it. And then on the other hand, we see this response of um, 
a rejoicing, a rejoicing of the people who who were oppressed and who um, turned away from her system and into the kingdom of God. There is a moment to say, um, praise the Lord for the end of evil once and for all. So we do in this text, I think um, what we see underneath it is this, this call to respond. And I think that that call is for us tonight, is for us in our own context as the community of God, right? I think as we, as we consider what it means to be invited into um, the, the, the number of the lamb, the, the, the faithful followers who will be with him, um, as in this fight against injustice and oppression and um, evil, you know, we are really given a choice here. Um, I think we're given a choice um, for a couple things. I think the first thing is like we are given freedom here to believe God um, for the eradication of evil, right? Like this text shows us like God has the authority. And not only that, like God has the heart, right? Like he's not disconnecting he's not dissociating from what's happening but he's he's facing it head on um and he's showing through his judgment through what he's pouring out in these seven bowls he's showing in the ultimate destruction of this big massive like mega system of evil like he's showing his heart and his intention there and so man yeah i just I just want to believe that if we have that vision, if we can see that this is the ultimate reality that evil is walking toward, that will change everything for us right here and right now. Right? Like we will have the freedom to believe in a God who is powerful and a God who does ultimately hold the authority. Um, And because of that, we have the power to believe in what could happen right here and right now when we say yes to being in his kingdom. Does that make sense? Like, I think the, the opportunity for us is responding in such a way where we'd no longer be living for Babylon, right? Like we would no longer be living for what our degrees can give us, what money can give us, what um, the stock market, what the United States, what, whatever country you're from, like we're no longer living with a sense of security in our circumstance, in our temporal context, but we're living with our security in the kingdom, right? The kingdom that is eternal, the kingdom that is inaugurated through Jesus on the cross, right? Like the lamb who was slain, he already, he brought the kingdom here, and we get the chance to see it come more and more um, here right now as it is in heaven. And so I think the second thing we're freed up to do um, is to be ambassadors for Christ as we are citizens in the world. I think Kelsey said that so beautifully earlier. And I think it's so true that um, when we say yes to the kingdom, when we say yes to um, following Jesus in his own fight against evil, his fight against pain and injustice. Like when we say yes to this, um, we are saying yes to being citizens in Babylon right here and right now. Like we, you know, when you say yes to Jesus, you you don't stop being a person. You don't stop living where you're living. Um, and in fact, I think the Bible would like has a couple different, um, examples for us of, of people who have understood this reality and have used it to see that their communities would flourish. I think Jesus himself, (laughs) you know, as, as, probably always, is the best example of this, right? Like Jesus was a citizen. He had a job. He, you know, he paid taxes. He, he, he like observed a Sabbath. He, you know, he did all these things that were true of the people in his community. Um, 
But at the same time, he did them differently because he was an ambassador and he saw himself as doing his father's work. And so I think we're, we're given the opportunity. It really, it's, it kind of sounds so simple, but we were given the opportunity to live differently. And so I, I want to ask us tonight, you know, what are we, what are we trusting in? What is the kingdom we are relying on? What is the kingdom that we are serving? Are you serving your nation over the kingdom of God? Are you serving UVA over the kingdom of God? Are you serving even, even your family over the kingdom of God? And like I said, you know, those aren't in and of themselves um, bad things, but they're not, they're not worthy. They're not worth um, the ultimate trust, the ultimate hope, the ultimate authority. And, and the reality is um, that every single system and kingdom that sets itself up against God will, will be counted in this judgment with Babylon. And so I think that the call tonight is, is simple. It's to repent and turn to the kingdom and it's to ask Jesus how we live differently in light of that. You know, Jesus, as he walked, um, he healed people on the Sabbath. And that was counter um, to what his community would have done, to what his religious um, leaders would have done at the time. Like he healed people on the Sabbath. He fed his followers on the Sabbath. He, man, he went into the temple courts and he corrected, um, you know, he, it's kind of, yeah, it's, Kind of sounds funny, but it's a really serious story where Jesus flips the tables and he rebukes people for selling in the temple um, and using that as, a, as an, a space for economic wealth. Because what they were actually doing was marginalizing and, and oppressing and pushing out the people who um, whose court that would have been. And so what we see in the example of Jesus is that he's bringing justice with him wherever he goes. He's bringing a different way of life. Um, he's bringing a new way of life. And that is what we are invited into. And so I, I just, I wonder what that would look like for each one of us. You know, I think that it's, it's God's heartbeat for justice. And it's this ultimate reality that judgment is coming for evil. Um, that would make us say like, what, what can I do? How can I participate? And I think we participate in a lot of ways. I think one of the ways being we share of this reality, right? Like we share Jesus with people because we believe that he wants to invite them into his number. He wants them to know that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He wants them to be invited into the fight against um, injustice and against evil, right? Like he, he wants us to um, bring people with us as we say yes to his kingdom. So that's one thing we, we invite. We invite and we continue to do that. And then another thing I think is just is in our actions, right? Like this is real responsibility. It's, you know, it's believing that where we get our clothes and where we get our food can make a difference. It's believing that we can serve and that um, we, have, we have to love our neighbors. We have to love our brothers and sisters. We have to love um, our community through, through acts of service. I think that that is... Um, such a huge way that we can see um, the kingdom advance. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of a story in Jeremiah where Jeremiah the prophet, he's in exile. He's there. His whole community is in Babylon. And he, he senses that God is telling him to plant gardens and to marry and to settle in. And I just, you know, I can't think of something um, more impactful than a garden that would help with human flourishing. So I want us to think tonight, you know, what, what are the specific doors that are open to me that I can use in this fight, right? Like, what are the ways 
in our lives, personally, in our relationships, in our context, that we can be um, participating and seeing um, and seeing Jesus fight against evil, right? Like, what are the ways that we can love and see our community flourish and um, believe, like, truly believe that that God's ultimate reality of judgment over evil? has tangible impacts for right here and right now. Friends, I believe it. I believe it. And so, yeah, tonight, as we, as we move toward closing, I, I, I want to address two, two types of people who might be listening, two groups of people, I should say. Um, first of all, you might be here and, um, you might not know Jesus. You might, um, just be checking out faith or checking out what, what Jesus is all about. And to you, I would say, welcome. I think the invitation is for you. I think God tonight wants to invite you into his kingdom and say, so there's a, there's a, a, a better place to put your hope. Um, and so I would invite you that as we, as we close in prayer, as we close in worship to think about what would it look like to put your hope and your trust um, in Jesus and in his kingdom. And for those of you who are, who are listening tonight, who are here, um, who are in relationship with Jesus, I, w- I would encourage you to actually ask the same question that there are so many, I feel like this is such a daily battle of turning our, our eyes from, um, the kingdoms around us, the earthly kingdoms, the, the different systems around us. I think it's a daily choice to turn from those and turn and look at Jesus and to ask, Jesus, where can I see your kingdom come right here, right now, as it is in heaven? So um, I just, I'm excited to think about what could happen, friends, as we ask this question, as we dream a little bit, as we wonder, you know, what, what impact could this make at UVA and even just in your, in your hall or in your classes? um, I think we have some time to, to dream and to listen to God and listen to his spirit about what he would, um, what he would say and the people he would put on your mind and the ways to serve he would put on your mind. So friends, as we, as we leave tonight, um, I would just love to pray a blessing over us that we could, you know, not only be reminded of um, the ultimate judgment that is coming and one day will come that will eradicate evil for once and for all. Right. Um, but I just want to pray that we would live in the blessing of what that means for us right here and right now. Um, so does that sound good? Would you all, would you all pray with me? Jesus, we, we do trust you, God. We say that even when it's hard to, even when we um, are tempted to put our, our hope and our trust in other places, God, we, we just trust that you are enough, that you are the only one who is, God. You are the only one with authority, you are the only one who um, is is worthy of our trust. And so, Lord, I do pray for, for my friends here tonight. God, I pray that you'd speak to us through your spirit, through your words and your people, um, through dreams. God, that you'd speak to us about what we can do right now, God. As we join in your fight, we just we just say you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that, God, we want to be in that number. We want to be people who are partnering with you right now, God, to see justice come to see um, painful things be made new. God, to see healing and freedom. God, to see you make all things new around us, Lord. We just, we want to partner with you in that, God. And Lord, I, I do pray for those who are considering what it would look like to follow you and be in relationship with you tonight. God, I pray that you'd speak to those people right now. God, I pray that you would encourage them and that you would continue to do the work that you are doing. 
So Lord, we, we trust you and we, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak. Amen. So friends, as we, as we close in worship, I, I do just want to encourage you to pray through those things and to, um, take some time in the next day or the next week to consider what it looks like to participate. Um, and yeah, it's such a joy to be in it with you all. Um, and let's worship. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.